from Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA, this is a special report. Assassins Incorporated, The Kremlin's Secret Squad of Killers, Part 2, The Paul Joyal Story. It's a sad event that the world has gotten to the point where free speech and free speech alone is worthy of death. Paul Joyal is a victim of that very thing. On the ground, on his back, struggling, a night in March of 2007 with two men he believes were sent by the Kremlin to silence him because he spoke out against the murder of Alexander Litvinenko on a Dateline NBC program. And it almost worked. Having shot him one time in the stomach, they almost succeeded in quieting him for good. Then they came in to shoot me again in the head and the gun jammed. In fact, it jammed twice. A strong signal that he was meant to continue telling that story. And he does so on this program with details and explanations and deep understanding of what took place then and what's at play now. Coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Target USA is brought to you by Northrop Grumman. In today's battle space, situations change rapidly. That's why Northrop Grumman's innovative C4 ISR technology offers unprecedented mission capability. That's the value of performance. Northrop Grumman. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. This is part two of our series, Assassins Incorporated, the Kremlin's secret squad of killers. There was a case that took place in March of 2007 that may have signaled the beginning of something that was missed by intelligence and security officials around the country. It was the shooting of Paul Joyal. And it might have been confirmation that a new wave of Russian assassinations was underway. You heard a short story about his attack in our previous program. We're going to let you hear it again because you're going to need it in order to put what he's going to tell us today into context. March 1st, 2007. It was a rainy, cold night in Adelphi, Maryland. Paul Joyal was returning home after a meeting with a friend at Zola, the swanky restaurant attached to the Spy Museum in downtown Washington. After pulling into his driveway about 7.30 that evening and stepping out of his car... There were two men waiting for me in the bushes. He was attacked from behind. I struggled with uh, the first man, the assailant. Joyal, a former federal law enforcement officer, took his attacker to the ground. The assailant called out to his accomplice for help, saying something Joyal will never forget. He said, shoot him. One shot from a 9mm pistol rang out, piercing 
his colon, and bladder. The lights outside his house flew on. His dog started to bark. Panicked, the assailants tried to end the encounter and Joyal's life. Then they came in to shoot me again in the head and the gun jammed. The shooter cleared the weapon. He tried again and the gun jammed again. At that point, the attackers fled the scene. In the direction of the cemetery in back of my home. Once they entered the cemetery, they were never seen again. The case has never been solved. But Joyal had an idea who was behind it. And as he fought for his life that night, he asked his wife to make an urgent phone call. I made sure she called and alerted Oleg Kalugin. Oleg Kalugin, a former major general in the KGB who defected to the U.S., was the person that Joyal met for drinks at the spy museum. They had three key things in common. They were former business partners, they were critics of Vladimir Putin, and they were friends with Alexander Litvinenko. As investigators continue to scratch their heads about who did it, one key fact dominates their attention. Four days ahead of his shooting, Joyal and Kalugin appeared on a Dateline NBC program titled, Who Killed Alexander Litvinenko? They both pointed the finger at the Kremlin and Vladimir Putin. Curiously, two other people who appeared on that program talking about Russia's assassins turned up dead. Boris Berezovsky found hanged in his bathroom in London, and Daniel McGrory, a London Times reporter, had a heart attack. And now, Paul Joyal addresses what happened to him, what's happening to others, and the ominous cloud that's been hung over the world by the Kremlin's secret squad of killers. There's no uh, direct proof that what happened to me was the work of, of Kremlin, uh, the Kremlin, or it's those that it employed. But of course, it did have a major effect upon those who knew me well. Uh, from my outspoken criticism of Putin and the Kremlin, as well as my associations with people over the years who have fallen into the category of being traitors of the regime or uh, people who were deemed as enemies. Um, but we no longer can absolutely rule out that things can happen here to Americans on American soil or foreigners on American soil. Are there, are there any specific cases that you would point to? We have the, the Lesson case. We have uh, strange deaths like uh, uh, Tretiakov in Florida. Uh, we have, uh, even going back in time, we have the Walter Kravitsky case um, of his... Um, uh, his uh, strange death in a, in a uh, hotel room in Washington, D.C., a former intelligence officer. So um, we can no longer rule it out, and we have to take these things seriously. And uh, it's a sad event that the world has gotten to the point where free speech and free speech alone is worthy of death. And that uh, is underlined with the uh, Jamal Khashoggi case and with the Boris Nemtsov case and with others that we look around the world where men who 
spoke uh, spoke out clearly to oppose um, uh, the worst traits in, in, in humanity and the worst traits in, in governmental systems find themselves uh, being removed from this earth because of their their voice. It's, uh, it's something we have to uh, continue to speak out against and take seriously any type of actions le- uh, that are taken against those that speak bravely and truth to power. You're a friend of Alexander Litvinenko's, and you've talked a lot about uh, what happened to him. And one of the things that you've talked about is just exactly how public that whole thing was. And it's, it's very curious when you look at the Skripal case, it looks very similar. So what exactly happened there? The Skripal case um, was uh, even, in many ways, even more um, more troubling than, than the Litvinenko poisoning in in this sense and and in this sense only um, the Novichuk uh, nerve agent is a classified as a weapon of mass destruction um, the, this was the type of weapon used on Skripal uh, the polonium being what it is uh, a nuclear um, a, a, a nuclear weapon with with a very quick half-life um, is something that is, again, very precise and directed at uh, a particular uh, person, in this case, uh, Lufenenko. The the Novichuk was something that had great persistence and obviously affected multiple people. And it was in violation of treaties uh, that, um, that were uh, entered into by, by Russia to uh, destroy those those weapon stocks of nuclear uh, of um, of nerve agents, so we see the introduction of this in a very uh, deliberate fashion, and then um, we we find out th- that the disposal of um, of the nerve agent was uh, was done in such a way as to to put others at risk. So we have uh, this absolute um, uh, disregard um, and uh, d- disregard of being identified and found and, and found to be uh, uh, responsible by by the Russian agents. Are you struck at all by the untidy way that the Skripal poisoning went 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 off, and and then the discarding of the poison vial afterwards? Uh, it, it's it's absolutely shocking. And some people say it was sloppy. Well, um, I, I think that uh, if it had been conducted in in previous um, in previous ways, it would have been done uh, in in a more uh, discreet way uh, than just casting aside uh, a vial of the of the material in a uh, charity bin. But on the other hand. Uh, it also expressed the nature of the time where the times we live in where people are no longer shocked and the Kremlin is no longer concerned about being blamed for it because the downside that they experienced was not great at all and it's better for them to strike the type of debilitating fear that they're seeking in the minds of those that may choose to 
um, defect or work with Western intelligence services, that this is the type of death that will be befitting to you. So, as I've often said, these types of exotic uh, uh, weapons uh, that are used to eliminate people by Russia are reserved for those that they consider traitors. And in today's Russia, even to defame a Russian president, according to their law, can lead to liquidation, justification, legal justification to liquidate them. And for those that uh, fall in that category, the most uh, heinous of methods uh, are being used. That's Paul Joyal, shot in his driveway in Adelphi, Maryland, March 1st, 2007, by two men, never caught, case never solved, that he says he has no choice but to believe they were sent by the Kremlin because he was a vocal and frequent critic of Vladimir Putin. It's time to take a short break, but when we come back, he'll say something quite surprising. Alexander Litvinenko, a citizen of the UK, was assassinated by the use of a really a nuclear weapon and the British government did everything it could to suppress that um, investigation coming up when we return to Target USA the National Security Podcast Target USA is brought to you by Northrop Grumman Northrop Grumman's innovative C4 ISR technology offers unprecedented mission capability, enabling faster, more assured decisions. That's the value of performance. Northrop Grumman. This is a Target USA moment. Episode 1, the show that started it all. Almost every morning here in Washington, the Director of National Intelligence goes to the White House to brief the President about the threats and the challenges the U.S. is facing. It's called the President's Daily Briefing. And Clapper gave us a look at his office at how he gets prepared to do that. Get up at 5, 5.30 and start right away you know, reading the news clips and that sort of thing. Get in the car. Protective detail brings me in and I start reading the uh, iPad that we have for President's Daily Brief. And Clapper, who's been gathering intelligence for more than a half century, says what he's seeing now is not good. In the 50-plus years, I don't know the time when we've been beset by a more diverse array of challenges and crises around the world. Uh, sometimes it almost makes you long for the halcyon days of the Cold War and uh, a single, all-consuming adversary, the Soviet Union, which we came to understand pretty well. This has been a Target USA moment. Episode number one. Download it. Relive it. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Paul Joyal was shot in his driveway March 1st, 2007, in Adelphi, Maryland, a suburb of Washington, D.C., by suspects he's almost certain were sent by the Kremlin or someone trying to impress the Kremlin because he's a vehement critic of Vladimir Putin. Paul spent more than a month on a ventilator in a coma trying to survive after being shot and he was one of the lucky ones Alexander Litvinenko was not and a part of the reason for what happened to him and and others is the trend towards killing people using particularly horrible methods and we spoke to him about that 
One of the most troubling developments coming out of your story, Paul, and all of the other assassination attempts is the alarming increase in the number and the brutality of these types of attacks. Like the case of U.S. resident and Saudi citizen Jamal Khashoggi, who was murdered inside the Saudi consulate in Turkey on October 2nd of 2018. And also a factor in the rise in these craven attacks is the brazen nature of the attacks. Why is that happening now? Uh, The latest case of uh, Jamal Khashoggi and his gruesome um, death is an unfortunate reminder how commonplace uh, politically motivated assassinations have become. We've seen two horrendous cases in the United Kingdom. We've seen uh, cases of North Korea using nerve agents to eliminate someone. Um, It appears to be growing, unfortunately, more and more complacent. And I think that the most dramatic uh, turn occurred in the Lipvinenko case. This This is something where a foreigner, a foreign citizen, uh, Alexander Litvinenko, a citizen of the UK, was assassinated by the use of a really a nuclear weapon. And the British government did everything it could to suppress that um, investigation and suppress the, um, the, the, the identification of, of Russia as being the culprit. Uh, an assassin in that case. It seemed very odd, as Paul Joyal said, that the British government would try everything it could to suppress the investigation into what happened to Alexander Litvinenko, his friend. So in order to find out why they would do that, we turn to another friend of Alexander Litvinenko, Alex Goldfarb, who says they had their reasons. I don't think they have suppressed the criminal investigation by the police. Uh, As far as I know, it went unhindered and very quickly produced the results. But uh, they sealed the results, essentially, and tried to suppress or prevent them from becoming public for uh, almost 10 years, actually, because Marina uh, Litvinenko was fighting to have an inquest and then a public inquiry into the Litvinenko death uh, based on the police findings. And the government did everything to prevent it. In the end, Marina had to sue uh, Her Majesty's government in the person of Theresa May, who was at the time the Home Secretary. And the court uh, compelled the government to hold a full uh, open investigation. And that's how we learned all the police evidence and Mm -hmm. uh, the names. uh, Well, we knew the names, but all the evidence uh, implicating the two perpetrators, Mr. Lugawa and Mr. Kofton. Why did the British government want to suppress the public release? Well, uh, they uh, fought it in the court. They said it quite openly and officially in a letter signed by Theresa May that they had uh, considerations of security and foreign policy in the 
plain in plain words it means that they didn't want to um, uh, to uh, annoy uh, vladimir putin who up until 2012 was considered a friendly leader who is a partner in the war on terror and the british didn't want to you know ruffle his feathers uh, that's number one they considered uh, the Litvinenko case a security, maybe a security issue, but not a political issue. And this was, of course, a grave mistake, a grave miscalculation. There was also a specific reason, and that is there was a, clearly a, a component uh, related to the activities of the British Secret Service which made, in my view, a major blunder by uh, trying to recruit or even recruiting Andrei Lugovoy, the guy who poisoned Litvinenko, and he actually brought polonium and killed Litvinenko on the watch of uh, MI6. So he was a double agent, clearly. And so I think it was a major embarrassment. It would have been a major embarrassment. And it still has not been disclosed at the inquiry. This part about regarding the recruitment hasn't been disclosed still, you say? No, it hasn't been disclosed. It was uh, for those who read the transcript or listened to the hearings, it's quite transparent that he has been um, recruited. Uh, he himself said several times that um, the Brits tried to recruit him, but he refused. But uh, from the amount of information that has been known to him, it makes a perfect sense to conclude that he has been recruited. Do you get the sense that uh, his <clears throat> perhaps preferred uh, status as a potential recruit was what facilitated the ease of, of him bringing polonium into the country? Well, it, uh, it facilitated, uh, first of all, the trust of Alexander to him because uh, his uh, visits and his visa and his meetings and uh, the breadth of his knowledge of Alexander's activities um, all uh, testify uh, to the fact that uh, he was very well known and on the radar screen, at least, of the British intelligence service. I think that they really recruited him. So this explains why Alexander Litvinenko trusted him enough to let him close to himself. That's Dr. Alex Goldfarb, world-renowned microbiologist who was a friend of Alexander Litvinenko's as well. And he, by the way, has been accused by the father of Alexander Litvinenko of killing his son. This after the elder Litvinenko said in the very beginning, as was borne out with the British inquest, that Alexander Litvinenko, his son, was killed by two Russian intelligence officers. Why he made the reversal, it's been speculated that he was pressured to do it. Back to Paul Joyal's story. He said for him and pretty much everyone else in the know, it was a no-brainer what had happened. But as Paul Joyal tells us as he continues his story, it's not clear why large governments like the UK and that of the US government have been slow to move on these very clear-cut, seemingly open and shut cases. And of course, it took many, many years for uh, an inquest to occur in which the findings were that this was an act by the Russian government. 
Now, of course, many of us realized right at the beginning that that was the case. It's one of the reasons I spoke out the way I did. And then uh, two of those in that broadcast, uh, uh, a journalist for um, the Times of London, McGrory, he was found dead uh, four days before the Dateline broadcast of a heart attack. He was in his 50s. And then, of course, I had my unfortunate incident in which I was where two men were waiting for me upon my return home four days after the broadcast of uh, the Litvinenko Dateline. Um, And it appears again in my case as well. um, Everyone did everything they could to dismiss it as being um, a robbery gone bad. Um, Unfortunately, when you ignore certain realities and don't do a thorough um, and full-throated investigation, um, it leads those that perpetrate these crimes to um, do it again. And unfortunately, now it's become almost commonplace. How much is known about the the Russian, and before that, I suppose, the Soviet use of assassination as a weapon, indeed a political tool? In um, 1964... Uh, the CIA did a study called Soviet Use of Assassination and Kidnapping. It was de- declassified in September of 1993. And in that study, they they admitted that uh, Soviet State Security Service, um, the KGB, uh, uh, has often resorted to both abduction and murder to combat what are considered actual or potential threats to the regime. And then these are uh, designated as executive actions, or uh, what what they what the KGB recall, uh, uh, would refer to as liquid affairs, or or mokri uh, dela. Uh, was this program intended for just traders? Just how widespread was the use of it? Uh, it can be employed both to citizens within the borders of the Soviet Union, but also uh, against Soviet citizens and emigres and even foreign nationals outside of the borders. And the purpose was to neutralize and discredit or destroy uh, these individuals or groups that they were associated with by uh, sometimes luring back emigres to the to the USSR, as they did with Sidney Riley during the trust operation right at the beginning of the Russian, uh, the Soviet uh, Union, Um, and other times by kidnapping. Uh, They kidnapped um, a Polish defector um, from Vienna uh, and brought him across the border from Vienna to uh, Czechoslovakia. Where he uh, was died, uh, where he died because of uh, overuse of a sedative to transport him across the border, um, and emigre leaders um, have found themselves the subject of of assassination operations, especially many of the uh, NTS uh, anti-Soviet uh, organizations or Ukrainian activists. You know, your story is a remarkable one because you survived and were able to tell your story 
Uh, and it's a very important story because we have to think about before we can figure out as, as a world how to tackle something like this, we have to figure out where the idea came from and where it's going. And given the era we're living through, uh, what impact is this going to have on society? It's a long history that goes back really to the origins of, uh, of uh, the founding of the Soviet state. And um, it continues. But now it continues in, in, in very brazen ways. Of the uh, with the use of types of uh, means of execution that are not specific to a particular individual, but can can spread um, uh, additional contamination and and death. In the case of the Skripal um, uh, incident, where two um, British citizens were found a found a device or the uh, ample of the of the nerve agent and uh, one of which died and one of which almost died so today the 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 previous discipline of eliminating people has given way to a, almost a cavalier attitude um towards the use of death to those who speak out or are traitors and it creates a more and more unstable world and i think it's a reflection of of the culture that we see reflected in movies, uh, even in movies and in uh, serials and television shows, etc., in which uh, uh, assassination and death are just part of the normal state of play uh, in the so-called battle against terrorism or in the intelligence business. Um, and it, uh, it erodes the, let's say, the moral fabric which should stand against this type of uh, behavior. That's the gripping story of Paul Joyal, a friend of Alexander Litvinenko, who spoke out after his friend was murdered in a particularly horrible and painful and brutal way. He himself ended up being a victim of a gunshot attack, a case that was never solved. The suspects never caught. Questions still unanswered. Paul talked about the moral fabric of our nation and world which should stand against assassinations. He's one of those people standing against it. Another, her story, coming next week. Marina Litvinenko is her name. She's the widow of Alexander. She recalls his poisoning. And it was uh, so strong, so sudden. He became sick and it was topless and nothing could help him in a few hours he became very exhausted. And in a gut-wrenching accounting of what happened, she also leaves a warning for the U.S. Learn lessons as quickly as possible. Don't wait until something very bad happened on your land. Don't allow this. And better to prevent it than investigate it after. This has been a special report. Assassins Incorporated. The Kremlin's Secret Squads of Killers. Coming up on our next episode, part three. I want to sincerely thank you for allowing us into your ear to continue to listen to our stories as we try to bring you some of the most compelling information and intelligence out there in the world regarding matters of national security to the U.S. and beyond. And arguably, assassinations is at the top of the heap right now. 
And as we continue to do our homework, tracking and figuring out what's going on around the world, analyzing and making sense of it, and then bringing it to you, we'd like to ask if you would do us a favor. Let us know how we're doing. Send me an email at jgreen at wtop.com. That's the letter J, the color green, one word, at whiskeytangooscarpapa.com. That's jgreen at wtop.com. And I would encourage you to follow us on Twitter at TUSA Podcast. And wherever you get our podcast, subscribe to it, whether it's on Podcast One or iTunes or at WTOP.com. Click the subscribe button. Again, thank you. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Target USA is brought to you by Northrop Grumman. In today's battle space, situations change rapidly. That's why Northrop Grumman's innovative C-4 ISR technology offers unprecedented mission capability. That's the value of performance. Northrop Grumman. Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.